Hi, I am Nicole J. Georges. I am a queer, feminist, vegan cartoonist, teacher, and advice columnist living in Portland, Oregon, with my half-blind chihuahua, Ponyo Georges. <coughs> Welcome to our podcast, Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters. What's the Hello, listeners from my basement in Portland, Oregon. Hallelujah! I just finished drawing my book. I was working on a graphic novel called Fetch, How a Bad Dog Brought Me Home, and I have been drawing on it every single day for the past nine months, and I just finished all of the drawings yesterday. So, that's where I'm at, but also, from this vantage point, I had a nice conversation with J.D. Sampson about success as a creative about failure as a creative and as a queer person, and about food on tour. I hope you will enjoy. J.D. Sampson, welcome to Sagittarian Matters. I'm so happy to be back. (laughs) Welcome back. We missed you here. I missed you. Thanks. Uh, producer Ponyo was asking. Really? Was asking about you. I learned um, when I listened back to the podcast. I realized that I I was not um, as ecstatic sounding as I felt. So I'm going to try a lot harder this time. <laughs> you are. <laughs> I know. I'm just going to power pose through the whole thing. You can't tell, <laughs> but I'm power posing. Is that a yoga thing? No. Power posing oh. is like before you um, go into a meeting or do something, if you do these different stances that are very like s- superhero-ish. Uh, I read that book. Yeah, for a certain number of seconds, then you will be more powerful. I didn't realize it was called a power pose, but maybe it's just because I didn't remember that part, but I did read that book of about presence or whatever. And I've, I've done it before. It's I've been like in the back of an Uber on the way to a meeting, just with my arms in the air, looking like th- pretty much a weirdo. Yeah. But being like, because it's like the bigger you are, the bigger you feel. Yeah. And I don't yeah. know. I don't know if there's something weird and patriarchal about it or, or what yeah. I don't know what it is. But anyway, here we are. I'm in my basement in Portland, Oregon, eating a superfood almond butter packet in front of you. That Morgan gave me. Mm, is it delicious? You know what? It's delicious. I want to tell you about it. It's a delicious, okay. but there's like a port that comes out of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bag of almond butter with like a weird plastic port that you stick in your mouth that seems like a drain port for like if you got a surgery or something. Like I feel like I'm eating out of like a like a drainage tube. Right. Or it's like a box of wine. Oh, yeah, or like a box, like the box of wine. What would you call that? Like the udder of wine. Bout. Yeah. Bout. So I, I yeah. feel uncomfortable that I feel uncomfortable about this touching my mouth over and over and then just being just back to business. Yeah. This stuff could grow. But, you know, is Ponyo eating out of it? She's not. She's not. Okay, then I think you're good. I did almost make Beth barf once by drinking out of the same cup as the dog in front of her. Oh. 
Like I poured some water into like the lid of something for her and she didn't finish it all. So I finished it and Beth was like, oh, like <laughs> did a little bit of a dry heave. Yeah, I mean, I've I've uh, I've eaten the same thing as Dirty before. Dirty. She cat. really likes she, this is the thing. OK, so my cat Dirty really loves Werther's originals. Is that true? Like, yes, I, it's the weirdest thing ever, because, like, who thought that cats like sugar, first of all? Not me. Like, dogs even, I mean, don't really like sugar, right? I don't know. They're not supposed to. Anyways, Dirty likes Werther's Originals, but, of course, she's not going to eat the whole thing. So she'll, like, take a couple licks, and then I generally just toss it in my mouth. See? This is what I'm talking about. It's your family. It's fine. But people see He's you do that. my best friend. People probably my... judge you for that. Well, no one knew about it until now. Oh, thank you for telling me. Yeah. She's your best friend? Yeah, totally. I mean, she is the person that I know the best, besides my wife. She has a little bit of a drinking problem, the cat, not yeah, the wife. Yeah, she does. Not the wife, no. But uh, Dirty is hungover every morning. She just... Loves to go out and party with her pals. She's straight? Yeah, she's straight. Most of the cats I know are straight. I know a cat named Jennifer. And yeah. she just, like, loves, like, baby fat or, like, juicy couture. And she right. is, like, dresses like a sorority sister. Hangs out with her friends. <laughs> yeah, I'm convinced that Dirty, like, drinks Red Bull and Grey Goose or something. And she parties all night so hard and then like literally all day she just sleeps and throws up and then i have to clean it up so i do i do think you need to go to some kind of codependence counseling for this yeah it's hard it's hard when your best friend is a uh, alcoholic you know <laughs> yeah. uh, ponyo has a different thing ponyo's genderqueer um, okay i'm pretty virginal but i'm like the weird mom that doesn't totally respect ponyo's gender um, right. So I continue to she Ponyo, even though Ponyo is probably a they, right, or maybe even a he. But Ponyo is kind of passive, so she doesn't correct me. Yeah, well, they don't correct you. <laughs> they don't correct me, but I mean, I will say when I got her from the pound, they were like, "Do you want this pink marabou collar for your princess?" And I was like, "No." I was like, right. "I'm not going to turn my dog into a princess." My dog is a dog. Right. Um, have you ever painted their nails? I have not painted their nails. They <laughs> did go to a groomer in San Francisco and came back with an American flag bandana. Oh, well, that's kind of androgynous. <laughs> it is androgynous, but I didn't know that um, Ponyo was that patriotic. I think that yeah. she's just kind of, um, we're doing a pronoun showdown here. I think that yeah. she's just kind of um, very susceptible to whatever's going on around her. So if she was around Trump supporters, she'd probably be like, you know, make America great again. Right. But she's not. So. Yeah. So she gets to experience the full spectrum of her gender. Uh, JD, you just started teaching a class. I should be calling you Professor Sampson. Yeah. You... I, started my, I started teaching yesterday. It was my first class. Where are you teaching at? I'm teaching at the NYU Tisch School of Recorded Music. Oh, I've heard of NYU. Yeah. Uh, do you make the students call you Professor Sampson? No. 
they didn't call me anything yesterday. Um, I think they're just going to call me JD. Hey, teach. Yeah. Got a question. Yo, yo teach. Yo, prof. <laughs> hey, prof. What yeah. Is, what is your class? It's called Creativity in Context, and it was kind of built to help first-year students understand how to be creative in, like, a larger sense. We try to bring them artists in other mediums to explain, like, what inspires them, how they have failed, how they relate to history and theory of other artists that came before them. So these kids are like 18. They've never thought critically before. Well, some of them haven't. And it's really a class about how to think and how to kind of be analytical and how to be creative while thinking about all these other aspects of life. You know? Yeah. It's kind of cool because it's like an advisory style of class it's like for the kids who feel really freaked out to all of a sudden be like engulfed in work and engulfed in like the pressure to be creative and the pressure to even understand what's going on so it's it's like a class to help them see people working in this field professionally as well as like other mediums professionally that's so cool. Yeah. I I don't know if this is related. You know, I was talking to Michelle in a podcast before about how, you know, being an artist doesn't mean you're not you're not officially an artist because you get a paycheck mm-hmm. or because other people are supporting you. You're an artist just because you want to make work and just take your part in the like long historical history and tradition of your form, whatever it is. And like, it's like different, like winning the lottery and getting a bunch of money for your art is a different thing than just being an artist. Yes, totally. I mean, the kids yesterday were so excited about the prospect of like, um, not stressing out about money Mm -hmm. and kind of like separating the two, um, facets of like their career of like, I'm going to do this to make money and I'm going to do this to be creative. And they were like, wow, great idea. You know what I mean? Or whatever. So it's kind of cool just to be around people that age for me. I mean, I'm an adult now. I'm a full on adult. You're wearing anti-wrinkle patches. I know. If I may say. Right now, they're all over my face. Your face, I can't even, it's like hard. The mustache is the only part that's untouched because you're trying to preserve your brand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but your God. whole face is like pulled back, like RuPaul, like, yeah. like taped. <laughs> There's like big flaps next to my ears where it all goes. Oh my God. Just wait. When you see me in Los Angeles, you're not even going to recognize me. Okay. I'm going to have a, a, like a clothes pit on the back of my head that all my skin is collected in. <laughs> um, I can't wait. It's going to be stretched tight. Really can't wait. Yeah. I'm just going to sit with my hands on my face all the time, like towards my ears so that I, I pull my skin. You look so young right now. You look like you're 15. (laughs) Incredible. (laughs) Better than than Botox. This is a feminist podcast. Um, BTB. BTB. That's a good, that's the new thing. Hashtag BTB. Feminist podcast brings on better than Botox. 
So why did you decide to teach this class? Like what was your, like what's exciting to you about this class or this topic? Well, the cool thing about this class is that I was brought on by a producer that I used to work with named Nick Sansano, who produced records for um, Sonic Youth and Public Enemy and La Tigra, among others. And he taught me so much about mixing and about production that I still use to this day. And I, he's like a huge mentor to me. So he's actually the head of the department at the recorded music school at Tisch. And so he brought me on to teach this class, um, thinking that I would be a good match. So I feel like that's a really special thing for me to be working with him. And I also think it's great because it's like somehow in between an, a therapy session and an art class. Um, it's like really, the content is about like believing in yourself and failing and kind of like experiencing every day as like a new option and a, and a new path to follow or something. So it's like, it's kind of this weird spiritual um, and emotional moment for them in the midst of all this like really hard work that they're doing. They're very lucky to have you as their teacher. Like oh, thanks. So cool. I mean, I did, I did feel like yesterday, you know, like people were, were very inspired by seeing my work. Um, they were like, wow, it's so, it's, it's so honest and shocking and important. And, you know, and I was like, wow, that's great. I'm glad you're inspired by it, you know, but it felt good to kind of like share my entire life of, um, creative, endeavors did you can we talk about failure yes please um i know you as a successful artist from my mm. from my vantage point over here uh mm -hmm. but what are there times where you have felt failure or you have experienced failure i feel failure every day of my life and i think it um when you didn't keep it, dirty from drinking that day yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, no, mostly with my career. I mean, it's very complicated because success is comes in many forms. You know, you can feel successful by making a lot of money. You can feel successful by being acknowledged for your work. You can feel successful for being respected for your work. And those are all like really different feelings for me, at least. So some days I feel like if I get a good job that pays well, it feels like successful but then when i arrive to do that job i feel somehow unsuccessful because maybe i'm giving in to the patriarchy or to capitalism and those aren't things i want to be known for necessarily so it's like if i'm succeeding at one thing i feel like i'm failing at another and and if um something succeeds for a while and then fails it still feels like a failure to me that i couldn't keep it going forever you know so it's like that's just my pessimism as an artist and as a person, but I think it's important for me to kind of like focus more on the practice of, of like how I'm working. And if I'm, if I feel like I'm doing my best and being my best self as an artist, you know, mm -hmm. like in your, so it's like if I, oh, go ahead. I don't know if I wake up and like watch 
TV and like check my email for like 20 hours just waiting for something to come in, I'm going to feel like a failure. But if I wake up and do my morning pages and then like paint something and then make a song and then go for a run and then have a meeting, I'm going to feel better about my art practice. You know? Even if you didn't get a check that day. Yeah. I will still feel more successful because I'm like broadening my, um, creative scope by by doing these things that feel at least like um like I'm trying you know yeah I mean I also think that failure is like a huge part of my practice like I have made work about failure whether or not I like really spoke about that at the time it's besides the point but I did like create a show for men in which everything broke on purpose in the middle of the set. And so like the backing track broke down and everyone like pretended to break a string or whatever it was. And to create this like kind of stress in the audience of like, Oh no, everything's going wrong. But then it all comes back together after an awkward period of time. So in this way, like I liked feeling like I could create that failure and that, and that, um, feeling of the audience, like watching me fail. Mm -hmm. Like I kind of enjoyed that weirdly. When you fail at something or, you know, quote unquote fail when something ends or when you feel mm -hmm. like a failure, you're like, I just fucked up this day or I can't believe I just like DJed for Red Bull or like, whatever the thing is. Yeah. I just made that up. Yeah. Uh, how yeah. do you, what keeps you going? Usually it's just some ran, random um, sign from the universe. Um, and, and usually that comes in the shape of like this person that walks up to me and says, you saved my life. I didn't think that there was anyone else like me. And I didn't think I could like express myself in the gender that I wanted to. And then you... And your music like made me see that I could do that or something. And then I feel like, <laughs> and then I realize that I've done something in my life. If it was only like helping that one person. And then I feel like the entire night was a success, you know? Yeah. I, um, so I just finished drawing this book and I've been working on it. Like, I've been working on it for two and a half years, but I've been working on it every single day for nine months. Yeah. yeah. For nine months, every single day. And it's very isolating and it's very like, uh, and like, there's just, it's, you know, the money's gone. The money from two and a half years ago is gone. You know, it's just, there's just a deadline and then I can't do anything else. But then like, I got a letter, you know, I'm just like checking my, my iPhone, just, you know, mm -hmm. getting iPhone neck, checking iPhone, like looking at Facebook message. And somebody sent me a Facebook message like that. That was like, mm -hmm. you're, you're telling my story. Thank you for being vulnerable in public. And like, I know that it's not easy to do. And they just recognized all that. And I was like, Ugh! and I just started just crying onto the screen of my iPhone. And that's the moment where you're like, oh, I feel seen. It's worth it. 
Yeah. And, like, I helped, like, this person doesn't feel alone, and, like, so I did the thing I came here to do. It's a really incredible feeling, and it's funny because sometimes I, you know, like, when I'm not in that moment, I forget about how important that moment is, you know? So I'll be like, yeah, someone wrote to me, but whatever, like, still, like, I lost this job or whatever it is. But then when it's happening, I'm like, oh, God, why do I, in hindsight, like, I need to remember what it feels like, which is basically just that, like, I deserve to be alive. You deserve to be alive. You know? <laughs> I, I really, I don't know if I just workaholism or what, but I really believe that Chir- that Shirley Chisholm quote that's like service yeah. is the rent you pay to be on this earth. And so I always just like, how can I be of service to the world? Totally. Like what, what skill do I have that I could use for a greater good more than just like, ooh, you know, me, more about me. Yeah. Like, how can this help something or do something? Mm-hmm. Ugh, can't stop, won't stop. So, um, wait, what, what would success be in your mind's eye if you just like had, so your perfect day would be that you just do a lot of things within your art practice and to enhance yourself as a human being. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, it's funny, actually, I, I, I heard this, this Andrew WK actually giving this talk about success and I don't remember how I heard this but it was like it's a triangle um one is like one point is wealth one point is is recognition and respect and one point is fame and it's like in order to have success you have to understand which one of those things is the most important and like move toward that goal because I don't necessarily agree with it, but I do understand that those three points are options for success. Not that those are the only points, but that like, sometimes I do think like, what is driving me to do this particular job? You know? So for example, like something like Pat for me, which is your, it is a party. Yeah. It's a party that I throw at a club in Brooklyn that is free and has like a lot of DJs and a lot of people come to it. And I feel like it's pretty successful in the sense that people enjoy it and always come and it's very crowded all the time, but I don't make any money from it. I lose money from it and I don't care at all because the point of that party is that it's, it is successful because it creates this exact space that I think we need to have in our community in Brooklyn you know? Yeah. 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 So it's like in, in that example, success is really about, um, being respected for like throwing a party that is free and non-exclusive and about having fun. Yeah. I, I offer so much free quote unquote content. Yeah. I just am an artist and I just want to share these things and I just can't keep it to myself. And I'm sure that there could be like a way that I could monetize different things, but I'm like, that's not, I mean, that's great. 
I don't, but like, it's part of my mission statement is like sharing the process. Yes. And like this podcast is a free service. Like it's a thing that I do for free, actually pay to do the podcast and put it out there because I wanted it to exist. And Mm -hmm. like that, it existing is more important to me than finding a financial balance for it, which, you know, is the curse of my life is that I'm highly attracted to things that don't pay very much, but that's just my, my deal. I completely relate to that. I mean, the things that I get paid for are usually the things that I really don't enjoy. And, um, <laughs> I feel terrible about doing them, you know? So, yeah. and I also, it's funny cause my art practice began, like I went to film school and I was so frustrated with the idea of people having to pay to go see movies that I decided I was going to make public art that were like drawn out films. Like it was like animations, but like just a long drawing that was like cut together with other drawings because I was like anti projector because I found it like super exclusive, you know? Whoa. And so it's funny because I, I recognize that I still kind of do that. Like I always throw free parties and when I promote them and I don't know. I'm getting into the podcast thing too. You get into the podcast. You're like, you know what? I got some money and time to burn. Let's get yeah. into the podcast game. You are going to, we'll talk about your podcasts in a future Wait. podcast. Yeah. In future podcasts. But you might do a podcast about uh, controversy. You're going to do a yeah. po- podcast about controversies. Yeah. Controversial figures reach out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, when I was a teenager, I talked to Ian Mackay at a zine conference in Kansas that we had. And okay. he was, you know, my friends were interviewing him for their zine. And he said something about like, oh, yeah, um, it would be awful if your financial living had to be tied up with your art like that. That sounds awful. And I remember at the time, because I am who I am, I was like, that's a loser. He's telling us that because he thinks we can't succeed at art. I was like, that's a loser's point of view. I was like, I'm just going to work harder to make that happen. But now, okay, now, so 20 years later, 20 Mm -hmm. years later, here I am. And I realize that it's very nice to have your actual art not have to do with your financial survival. Like then there's no scarcity in the art that you're creating. Then there's no like sense of need. It's just like, this is what I want to create in the world and hopefully the world will like it and maybe I'll get financially rewarded. But in the meantime, like that's not stressing this out. Like I'm not pandering to anyone. I'm not trying to do anything anyone thinks I should do. I'm just making my purest thing. Yeah. I mean, that's, I brought this up in my class. Like the second you start to worry about money and how much money you're going to make with the project that you're working on, the second it becomes a job and it becomes not fun and you start to like lose sight of what your creative process is. And, and, and like the second you start to fail, I think sometimes, you know, I mean, yeah. You can tell in the art if the artist isn't happy. Oh, totally. Or if they're pandering. Yeah. I and mean, I think, you know, a good example of that happened in, in men. I think it's happened in a lot of my projects, you know, where 
you know, our first record was was just for fun, but then we got an advance from a label, and so we were like, wow, we could make this our jobs. And as soon as it started feeling like um, we wanted to make a hit track, it felt um, like that tangibility of, like, the collective sense of the project that it started out as, like, just, like, disappeared, and we were, like, grasping for some sense of, like, ourselves again, you know? Yeah. So it's like that has happened to me often. I mean, I feel like it happened in La Tigre also. It's just like the reality of being a working artist and also being in the music industry, which is like a totally stressful situation now that you don't really make money from making music anymore. It's hard. It's hard to balance that because no matter what anyone's intentions, that will happen. I mean, like with yeah. Tigre, you guys were, you know, you're punks to your bones. Yeah. And then you you want to write more things that people like. I guess it's, maybe it's like the curse of sophomore projects, even though it wasn't your sophomore oh, project. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm feeling that this book is like my, officially my second book, even though in real life it's like my fourth book. But mm-hmm. um, like writing the book proposal for it, I felt like it needed to be more commercial. Yeah. And in writing something that seemed more commercial, it was like offensive to my core sensibility so I actually had to like put it away for a little bit so that I had space to rethink the story and say what I was actually trying to say mm-hmm. and hope that it matched up with the commercial yeah character. I don't know but I had to like be able to put it away to clear my head and not yeah, see it's... like five dollars that someone was dangling <laughs> yeah so I recently got um an offer from a publisher to write a book Cool. And it was a, it's a university publisher, so it's a nonprofit, and they don't really give you money. Um, My but face they, is a sad face. They came to me, mm-hmm. and I thought, my obviously, like she said to me, maybe you know you might like to be honest, like you might want to like shop this around to other places because we're not really gonna like give you money, but remember that we're here and blah, blah, blah. And I, it's so funny because I have zero interest in shopping a book around. And I actually would rather do it with somebody that I know is interested in exactly what I want to say. So it's kind of like those decisions are the ones that I know I need to make in my career, which are to take less money and to work with the people that respect me and that I respect because inevitably I'm going to be able to make the work that I want to make. And inevitably I'm going to be able to like be as experimental and make my art exactly how I want it to be without thinking about money, you know? Yeah. And then, so I think this is good. This is good transparency for people to see the things that you like to do the most aren't necessarily the most financially rewarding. And there's other things that you can do that are kind of still within your vision. You know, yeah. like for me, when I give a touring workshop, I always tell people like, you set up your college shows first because those are gonna be the financial anchors. And if yeah. you have enough college shows, then you can do the fun little comic book shop that's giving you no money. Then you can do yeah. a library. Then you can do places that are actually fun. But generally, mm-hmm. a college show is gonna be the biggest bummer on your tour. Because mm-hmm. it could be fun, but it also could be like three bros that don't know who you are and one really great professor who brought you in. 
mm-hmm. you're like doing your like you're like singing your heart out doing your life's work for like three people that don't care they're like those cool cartoon like it just <laughs> but that will they'll give you a paycheck and then you go do like a fun bookstore or i don't know in your in your case of like a fun any other venue that's not a college yeah and yeah or like a queer um lady fest kind of situation like those are really cute and it's fun to not have to squeeze them for too much money totally it's fun to not like call the feminist bookstore and be like give me more money because they don't have it or to be like sorry i can't do that i cost a lot of money yeah sorry i don't have time to talk to you my actual community it's like it's just a balance it's like okay get your get your financial needs met because you don't have a trust fund probably if you do have a trust fund don't even take this workshop just go have a good time but it's yeah. like, get your financial needs met and then you can deal and like have so much fun. Like I, you know, like I booked a tour where I wanted to go to Indiana to meet Lil Bub, the internet cat, uh-huh. right? Cause right. I made some fan art of Lil Bub. And so I was corresponding with Bub's owner right. and I was like, I need to get to Indiana. So I pitched myself to all these colleges there. I got a really good paying gig at like Indiana university, whatever's in Bloomington. And so then since I did that, I could afford to do boxcar books which like paid zero money and like didn't even have the book that I was touring when I got there. But I love boxcar books and it's a beautiful space and it was really fun. And then I got to meet Lil Bub. But I only got to do those things because I found enough money to get me from right. point A to point, to get me from like Chicago to Bloomington. And also like the drive to even do that. You know, it's like a lot of people are like, I don't have any job or and I do that sometimes I sit down and I'm like I have no gigs coming up what am I gonna do and then literally I'll send out like five emails and a million jobs come to me you know and it's like you have to do that like pitch yourself yes well I was just talking to someone the other day about this with comics where they were like uh and this is a very talented cartoonist who was like oh I know someone and she just had her stuff up on a website and then this publisher contacted her and I'm like you can do that, but you need just contact the publisher. Like, yeah. don't take a passive role in your own success. Like, go yeah. to people. It's okay. You have to promote yourself because you're the only one who's going to do it, unless you're paying yeah. a management company to do it for you, or right. like a PR person. Like, it's not. There's no shame. Right. It's just that's how you make a living. I have a hard time with that because I don't have. I'm not a super confident person, and I don't really like pushy I don't really like people that are super pushy or I don't like I don't like that quality in other people like if someone's like hey I really want to DJ hey and like comes to me like 20 times I'm like okay chill you know but I understand that you have to do it to some extent and so it's like it's a complicated kind of you have to like get the temperature right and um I get nervous to do that so it's very hard for me and I I feel like a lot of it is just like not thinking I'm good enough or whatever, but I always end up getting something out of the experience of like pitching myself for something, you know, if it's failure, it's failure, but that's kind of helpful to, to have sometimes. Yeah. I think, I think it's like, it's a matter of letting people know that you want this thing. Yeah. But if you have to repeat yourself over and over, that might mean that you're trying to control the situation. That to me is a red flag that I'm trying to control a situation when I keep repeating myself. So if you offer yourself to someone or something and then they're like, cool, thanks. And then they don't contact you. They're probably not interested right now, but at least they know that you want it. Maybe in the future, something will come up that's a better fit and then they'll contact you. 
don't know. Um, I guess I, I was, I'm really into your class. I'm really into the idea that you're talking about all these things. I think that's very, very cool. Yeah. Um, and it also made me think about like, just like queer failure, but that's a totally different, I mean, that's a different subject. But like the idea of queer failure being that queer people don't necessarily hit the marks of what heteronormative Mm-hmm. ideals of success which is like okay to be successful you go to college and you get a job and after that yeah. and then you get married mm-hmm. probably someone you met in college and then you have a kid and then you have a cool life together because you bought a house yeah but as a queer person and as a queer artist by that standard we are failing all the time oh totally i mean i come up against that a lot because i feel like um i i in a very like normal way, I I feel a lot of pressure from my family to to be um, more successful in that uh, straight person vein. But it's funny because they don't give it to me; I put it on them. I like they don't give a shit. Most if people I, don't. Like, yeah, but it's funny because it's like I just want them to see me as like a normal like as like a real person not normal as like a real person you know and it's like i know they don't understand what it's like to be a queer radical artist you know what i mean like they don't get my lifestyle and they don't understand like what's important to me and what's not but i still constantly like want to fit in you know and so i feel like a failure very often I I feel like I've had to like wrap my mind around and rewrap my mind around reminding myself that my bars of success might be different yeah. than other people's and that they might even change. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's times where I was like, you know, in in line to do like this and this and this that and then there's another when reality hasn't given me that. Right. You know, times when I was like, okay, I'm hunkering down. I'm going to like buy a house and like start looking and having a kid. And then life was like, how about you like tour for several years and have this book and then isolate yourself creating books. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. And then I was like, wait, what if I just lean into what's actually happening? And that's cool because that's actually my life. Yeah. And I mean, that comes back to the whole idea of like, it's the practice of living that's important. It's like, if you, I read this book about it that was really corny, but it was really interesting and it super, it affected me in a huge way. But the idea is like, you, you don't, okay. You might say like, I want to be the best piano player in the entire world. Well, it's like, you're not going to get there unless you practice a lot and like, really focus on it and do a really good job of practicing. So it's like, you might never become that great piano player, but the idea isn't to like focus on being that great piano player. The idea is to like do the practicing. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you want the experience of playing the piano really well. Yeah. So it's like, I've, I'm trying really hard to think that way about life in general. And that's success failure. And just like, not stressing myself out because it's about, you know, walking out the door and smiling at someone instead of like being angry or whatever. It's like those little moments all add up to you 
enjoying the way that you fit into your life and this planet, you know? Yeah. Because it's like, we could all die tomorrow, and will we say that we, like, hit our goals or something? It's like, that doesn't really matter. It's like, your goals change all the time. Your path changes all the time. Yeah, and this is, this, all right, listening to Dr. Laura, conservative right-wing talk show therapist, changed my life at a certain point when she just reiterated the fact to someone that, like, this is not a dress rehearsal, this is just it. Like, your life isn't going to start when this thing happens. Your life isn't going to start when A, B, and C happen. This is it right now. Yeah. Because somebody was like, oh, I'm dating a dirtbag, you know, like, in the future, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, no, this is all you have. Right. This minute is all you have. So if you're choosing things that make you uncomfortable, there's not a moment where things are going to start. But I don't don't know why, like, that hit me one day just hearing it again. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. I mean, have you seen that documentary about that? Um, motivational speaker guy Tony Robbins yeah wait do you know that my uncle was his CEO no I'm Sam you can google this Sam George's my uncle was the CEO of Tony Robbins Incorporated and he's like his best friend whoa that thing really that's I I haven't watched the documentary but I really want to the documentary really affected me and it thought it made me think a lot about this book I was talking about about practice where like the guy in the book talks about a flower and it's kind of like a flower is perfect all the time. It's like perfect as a seed. It's perfect when it sprouts up. It's perfect when it has its petals opening and blooming. And it's perfect when it loses its first petal. And it's perfect when it dies and goes back into the world and gets made into another flower. It's like all of those stages of its life are beautiful. But why can't we look at our own lives in the same way and say, like, you know what? Like, this is... This is just what it is. This is a perfect moment. This is the day that I'm having. Maybe I get fired. Maybe I, you know, get a bonus or whatever it is. Like, it's like, maybe I meet the love of my life. Maybe I, you know, have a baby, whatever. It's just like, it doesn't really matter because it's like, every day is perfect if you look at it that way. Yeah. Like, people just want to be like full bloom all the time. Yes. Like a fucking plastic flower forever, just like, I'm still blooming, and I just appeared this way. Yeah. But it's, like, so unrealistic. It's just, like, no one, no flower, only fake flowers are blooming all the time. (laughs) I was Googling cognitive behavioral therapy on a plane, because I was tripping out about something one day. (laughs) Yeah. And it was telling me about, you know, like, taking an overhead view. Mm -hmm. I was really trying to, like take an overhead view of my situation that would give me better perspective on the whole situation. And I really trying to employ that Mm. because the overhead view, everything's fine. Everything's fine. I'm living, I live indoors. Yeah. I've done a lot of work. It exists. Who knows what will happen in the future? I have my dog here. I'm I'm wearing clothes. The climate's pretty chill. I have this nut butter packet. Like everything's fine. You have friends. Yeah, I have some friends. It's like, that's fine. <laughs> You're listening to Sagittarian Matters with Nicole Georges. I want to tell you um, that after I talked to you, you talked about eating bananas. And I hadn't really been eating bananas before that because I just had some problems with them. Like, it just seems... <laughs> 
seems like a weird thing to eat. They're really complicated. They're complicated. I was like, where do bananas grow? Where do these come from? Whatever. Mm -hmm. But then since you said that, I've been traveling and I have been eating bananas. And every time I eat a banana, I tip tip my banana hat to you. Yes. Um, And I want to tell you something I did recently, which is I went to a wedding. And this is the kind of food that could happen at any backstage event of your whole life. There was a crudite platter that was uneaten. That was like, it was like carrot sticks, broccoli, cauliflower, Celery would fuck the celery, but um, I don't need to be burning calories on tour while I'm snacking. Was there ranch dressing? There was, but I left it behind. I took okay. this crudite oh, yeah, platter so. back to my hotel room because it was left over, and then I microwaved the broccoli and cauliflower with some water and made it into food for the next day. <laughs> wow. Wait, did we talk about how I made steamed vegetables in a coffee pot one time no no tell me (laughs) i put in a little bit of water no coffee just vegetables and they steamed and and then i added like a peanut sauce yeah like i have soy sauce packets in my purse i have salt and pepper packets in my purse you see a panda express in the airport you get some like mustard or whatever that's good i have to i mean i have to be honest i did not eat it the next day i put it all all right, so the hotel sometimes has, like, a like a coffee cup to go with the lid. I put it yeah. all in that as my Tupperware. The next day, I was on the plane, and the idea of eating cold broccoli seemed... Cold steamed broccoli seemed so, like, emo and weird, and I just wasn't feeling it. Mm-hmm. But, but this, like, steaming vegetables thing... And could you find these fucking horrible raw vegetables? I mean, they're fine, but you don't want to eat raw cauliflower all the time. Yeah. But steaming them, really, I felt like an innovator. <laughs> It's it's a really I mean the coffee pot thing is great cuz it's just like right there. It's all you know, drainage system. I love that. That's really smart. Yeah. This happened to be a place that had a microwave, you know. Hallelujah. Yeah, I mean that is dream. It was an embarrassment of riches. But so that's I mean cuz like I I've, I've I've been in backstages before with so many like baby carrots, raw broccoli. Sorry. Oh. There's a serious honking, honking situation. Okay, wait, go ahead. Like, You've been backstage with baby so carrots. Many, so many backstage baby carrot situations where you just don't want to eat a raw baby carrot anymore. Yeah. Take it I know. Well, my favorite backstage thing in La Tigra was like we had T. Marzetti's ranch dip on the rider because I was like addicted to it. It's like basically MSG and sour cream, you know? Oh, yeah. That's great. I mean, you know, I couldn't eat yeah. it. I mean, so I was just like dipping all night long. That was my dinner. Was there any? Were there any other things that you had that you were like, "I want this, and I will feel grounded"? Well, my rider now has bananas that are not yellow or I mean, sorry, not green or brown. It mm. says that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I told you this no, before. You didn't. Who but wants a green it, banana? It's like stage? I won't eat a brown banana, and I won't eat a green banana. So it's like. It's kind of important that they're they are yellow. Well, it's like don't waste your money on bananas. I'm not going to eat. I'm here for like twelve hours. Yeah, I mean, honestly, in La Tigra, like you know, live band writer is a little different because you're you're there longer at the gig, so it's like you need like actual food. But really, the only thing on there that was mine was a uh, the T Marzetti's ranch dip. That was like really important to me. What is the? Yeah. Can you think of the grossest thing? On, that you've eaten on tour? Actually, 
the funniest thing is that I think I ate it last week. Um, <laughs> I went to Northern Ireland to play at Pride. Um, it was one of those gigs where you show up and you're like, this is going to be the worst experience of my life. And then it ends up being super fun and awesome. And you remember why, like, you go to places like Northern Ireland to play a pride because it's like they want to enjoy themselves and be with their community. And it's such a wonderful feeling. But I did eat two of the worst things I've ever had in my entire life. What? One was the breakfast at the hotel, which literally was like I could not eat it and I paid for it. It was like... Oh, in it was like a regular English breakfast with like sausage and bacon and eggs that were like liquid egg. What do you mean? It was just like all in the buffet and it, the eggs were like, so it was fake. They weren't real eggs. They were like fake. It was like poured in eggs and it was just like a yellowy mush. It was so gross. Um, I was starving because I had just gotten off the plane, so it was the only thing around, and I decided that I was just going to eat it, and it would be fine. I eat a lot of terrible things, but it was really... I could not eat any of it. I took a bite of everything and was, like, so nauseated. I couldn't deal. What was the matter with the pork products? Just, like, they tasted like nothing. Like... <laughs> <laughs> so did you it not... It was so scary. It was just, like, greasy nothing. Wow. Because you... This is saying a lot, because you have been on touring for yes. a long time. You eat a lot of weird stuff. I mean, really, it was so bad. So then we went to the gig, and a lot of bad things happened. Like, they didn't have the gear I needed. And it was, like, just a disaster after disaster after disaster. And I hadn't eaten anything. And so they were like, do you want us to order you food? And I was like, sure. Just, I like good food. So whatever you think is good. And so they were like, well, the Chinese is actually really good. It's, like, really famous. So let's get that. And the, so I ordered something that I order all the time in New York thinking like, well, this is safe. Cause I know I like it or something. And then I ordered like extra fried rice that was just like vegetarian. Cause I was like, if it's terrible, then I can like just eat the fried rice. Cause like, how can fried rice be bad? It was like the worst Chinese food I've ever seen. I mean, I didn't even have to eat it it was so gross what, so what was it was like the rice was just it was just brown rice it, i mean it was white rice but it was like tinted brown with <laughs> oil and soy sauce i guess there was nothing else in it no like egg no vegetables nothing else it was just the rice and it was like tinted brown in a tupperware and it smelled like gravy it smelled like american food it was not like soy it was not asian based yeah. it was like it was like thanksgiving i would i would have hit that no it was so gross oh my god it tasted like starchy milk or something it was so disgusting when chinese food takes a bad turn Especially yeah. in the hands of people that are not Chinese, it can get really, really scandalous really fast. Yeah, and then the other thing I got was, like, um, I don't know, it was, like, some kind of chili sauce. And it was, like, it looked like Kool-Aid. 
in a Tupperware. It was like red, clear liquid. It was like sugary, 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 sugary garlic, like a little bit of garlic and chili, but like not at all spicy and not at all flavorful. And it was like, it was so, it was like dog food dipped into really thick Kool-Aid with some chilies. Did you eat it? I ate some of it. (laughs) I was starving. That's the worst when you're starving and there's like, there's not a vegetable to be seen. Yeah. And then the starch that you have is like sad oil starch. And your body's like, fuck you. You just crunched yourself in a plane for all this time. And now you're here and you have jet lag and this is your food. I know. I mean, I could, I could tell, I remember everything I eat, so I could go on and on for. When you said that I had like a, like you triggered triggered me yeah i have a memory of eating chinese food in las vegas and having that same kind of like what could go wrong and just like whatever it was like the sauce was a clear slime like clear salt slime and the vegetables were like frozen vegetables that had been boiled to humiliation so it was like the broccoli had lost all the leaves off the broccoli tree Oh, <laughs> so it was like a weird flaccid strip of this gelatinous broccoli. And then the little green specks were all over the like, oh, yeah, the di- and I was like, whoa, and I rarely can't eat something because I am like a scrappy, you know, I used to yeah. eat like, garbage cans, like at food, yeah. Bombs. but like having to be like, I can't, I can't even do it. And then aside from that. Katie and I had a really traumatic food experience at a place called Freshie in Chicago, which is F-R-E-S-H-I-I, which they were like, oh, you can get this thing. And it's like brown rice and all these chopped up vegetables. And we were like, cool. But then it was like, they give you like this, like little sprinkling of these vegetables and this big heap of brown rice. And they put it in like a Slurpee cup <laughs> and then they like shake it up. And something about it, it just was punishment food. It was like pesticide flex in a hard brown rice. <laughs> <laughs> yes Space. and you know what's really sad a lot of times I'll like go into a restaurant and I'll be like oh I want this thing and then I'll like buy it and it's like $400 no it's like $12 or yeah. something and I take one bite and I'm like I can't eat this and then I throw it away and then I have to go get something else which is like $12 yeah. that is the biggest bummer of tour That's the. it is it's the bummer of tour because it's like you actually have to eat something that you purchase because you can't cook for yourself Yeah. unless you're steaming vegetables in your coffee pot. You're very vulnerable on tour. You're vulnerable yeah. in a lot of ways, especially if you tour yeah. alone. There's no one there yes. to take care of you and give you your ration. Mm-hmm. You're just like, oh, now I have to do this. I can't think of any other times I've done that. I remember on Sister Spit before trying to get a wrap from McDonald's because that was the only thing at the travel plaza we stopped at and just being like, this is a, this is like a pesticide power pack, and I can't deal. Yeah. Like, I remember being on, like, a thing where I wasn't eating gluten, and then we were at – it was, like, the only thing at the Travel Plaza was McDonald's, and I ate a salad from McDonald's, and it was, like, the most depressing thing you could ever do because, like, it, it just felt like it wasn't even real vegetables, you know? No. It is, they're like two things from tour, punishment food, and then mm-hmm. food pill, which Katie came up with, which was just get it down. It's like, yes. you don't, don't even taste it, just get it down. Like, massage it down your neck. Like, don't even think about it. <laughs> you just have to get it down, like food pill. 
I have I do I have a lot of food pills. I eat really fast sometimes just because it's a food pill. Because I'm just like gotta gotta eat something. Gotta eat something. Just gotta get it down. Well, it's yeah. just that just choosing not to eat something that you have just purchased and that's the only food around is a really that's a strong decision. A lot has to be going on for you to be like I'm. I just can't. It's sad. I mean, I'm sure somebody somewhere is listening to this podcast who's like, I don't even have a pot to piss in. How dare you throw away your McDonald's salad? But you know what? You can have it. If you, I'll tell you where it is. You can have it. Yeah. I usually leave it next to the garbage can anyway. Oh, yeah. I don't want to throw away food. No. Um, okay. <laughs> to wrap up, I want to know, what are some of your favorite things right now? This could be anything. <gasps> I, um... And or favorite therapeutic phrases that you live with. Oh, God. What's hysterical is historical. Yeah. If I'm feeling hysterical, it's probably historical. Yeah. Yes. Um, that's kind of like the big one. Or another one for me is if you think you're fat, go on a diet, which is like not a very nice thing to say. And it's not very, uh, you know, feminist right now. But I would say that it, it's it's the idea of like... If you think you're stupid, then study harder. Or if you think you're like, no one likes me because I'm annoying. Well, it's like, well, then don't think about the ways that you're annoying and try to change those things or whatever. Because it's like a lot of times I am worried about what other people think of me. But then it's like I don't do the work to make myself feel good about those things, Mm -hmm. you know, for myself. So it's the easy way to say it is if you think you're fat, go on a diet. But that's the that's kind of like a weird sizest. Yeah, it's it's, it's not a very body positive way to say what I'm thinking. If you think something bad, do something about it or shut the fuck up. Yeah, basically. Those are good. I I like thinking if it's if I'm feeling if it's hysterical, it's historical. Oh yeah. I really like I really like um, the respond, don't react. Because oh yeah, my aunt, my lesbian aunt, taught me that when I was a teen. Because when I and I can feel when I'm still in a reaction. Sometimes it could be three days later. And if I'm going to respond to something and I still can feel that initial, like, in my yeah. in myself, I just need to chill and wait. And it's okay. And it's well, better. you know, I learned this thing about that, which is really great. Take three minutes. So apparently it takes your body three minutes to, like, push out the anger or, like, some sort of things that your freak out cells flush them through your body so if you wait three minutes when you're in a conflict you usually like can have a more um relaxed sensibility Mm, that's great three minute rule three minute rule do you do you employ that in your life yes i like that the other day chris called me my producer and i was Mm -hmm. in the middle of like the stressful last moments of finishing my book and he told me something that needed a response. And I was like, I can't make words now. I gotta go. Like, I just, yeah, I was like, I am in a frenzied state already. Yes. And there's nothing I can say right now. That's going to be excellent. Well, sometimes you just like jump to be angry and it's like, you might like say something you don't mean. And it's like, you have to just take those three minutes and then think you might not say the same thing three minutes later. Yeah. You won't. You won't say the same thing three minutes later. You won't say this, and also, like, you're not going to get anything you want from reacting in anger. Also, three minutes is so short. That is short. 
That's a short amount of time. But it feels long in the moment, you know? You're like, I need three minutes. The person's like, but ex tell me now. And you're like, I just can't. I just need three you're minutes. Just, three minutes is nothing. Just relax. Three, don't say anything. Just be with yourself for three minutes. No big deal. I like those. Um, guess what? It's yeah. time for me to go to therapy. Oh, my God. Have a great time at therapy. Yeah. Thanks for being on Sagittarian Matters. Thanks for having me again. Of course. And please come back before your controversial podcast. Oh, yeah, I will. Maybe you'll be featured on it. Yeah, I will. I'll try to think about a controversy. I definitely have things to say about controversy. That works. Yeah. Um, I mean, listen, like, you've been involved in a controversy, be it small or large. Yeah. I mean, I guess I did write. I mean, I wrote a whole book about my own mother uh, and put it out there, and she's still alive, and she gave me a one-star Amazon review. So that, That's perfect. That's a controversy. I've had flame wars on Facebook. Um, I'm sure I've been involved in some other things. Yeah. I just try to block them. Out. I've also thrown my hat in the ring of defending temporary lesbian bar. My, uh, my yeah. a very good friend's event when people are like, is this transphobic? And I'm like, no. Yeah. Please come. All controversies. Yeah, all controversies. So I'm happy to come on as a controversy. I'll say even controversial things if you want on the podcast, just to drum something. Ooh. Out. Ooh, yeah. Great, great. <laughs> oh, the controversy of, uh, like, I I think that men should be chivalrous because it's our reparations for living in a patriarchy. People didn't really like that when I posted that on the feminist website, bitch. But anyway. Okay. That's a good one. I'll see you on the podcast. I'll try to drum up something more meaty before then. Thanks. See you in the universe. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.